Brooklyn Sports Podcast, a podcast for people who love sports and don't care who knows. It's been a hot minute since our last podcast, but we are back. We are going to bring the heat, and we are going to swing our meat. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the old has-been motto. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As uh, you can hear, Scott Baird, my usual and favorite co-host, is back once again. What's happening, man? Hey, man. It's good to be back. Back from paternity leave. Yeah. Ready hey. to uh, dive back in here. Yeah. Hey, that's the one nice thing about the Hasman Sports Group. We we um, we allow paternity leave. Uh, unlimited paternity leave. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and fraternity leave. <laughs> All right. <Yeah>. So <laughs> we got a real, real uh, good show tonight. Go ahead. I was just going to say, people come to Hasman Sports for the benefits package. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't do health insurance, but frat and pat leaves. All good. All right, so we got an exciting show tonight. Uh, we're going to talk some NBA, we're going to talk some NFL, and we're even going to try and conduct our first ever interview. So we'll see how that goes. But first, uh, Scott and I are going to actually revisit some of our takes from this summer, some of our freezing cold takes from this summer. Um, one thing that separates us from some of the clowns you see on ESPN and Fox Sports Net, like Skip Bayless, uh, we're gonna admit when we whiff on a take. Um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna hedge our bet or give a backhand a compliment. You ready to do this, Baird? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I think our our worst take this summer, and obviously there's a little context here, but we're not we're not backtracking. This was a cold take. Uh, we made fun of. Danny Ainge, we called him Ponzi scheme, Ponzi scheme Danny. Um, we made fun of him for not making any trades at last year's trade deadline. We made fun of him for trading the number one overall pick and taking Jason Tatum. And then I think we, at least I, I feel like I talked down on him on the Kyrie Irving trade. And turns out he knows what the hell he's doing. And looking back over the last, basically his whole tenure, Almost every decision this guy's made has been brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, I mean he's he's brought the Celtics back from you know a couple you know pretty down years to I mean it's them and the Cavs in the East. I think I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, and, and oh, he's he's got them at the point where I, I mean right now they can possibly beat the Cavs. I personally I don't think they will, but they're I mean they're at that level. You can't deny it. They're best team in the NBA right now, record-wise. Yeah, they are, and they um, they defend, and they have tons of wing wing players. Uh, they stocked up in the past couple drafts. They have uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think Gordon Hayward's injury, while it hurts them in the short term, it's going to help them in the long term because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have both really stepped in, and they've, they've been forced into playing huge minutes and crunch time minutes uh, right away. And it's going to be great for their career, and I think it's going to be great for the Celtics long term because when Hayward comes back, all of a sudden they have three high-caliber wings, um, a very good big man um, as far from an offense perspective, and Al Horford, and then Kyrie Irving, who's just uh, taken his overall game to another level, um, a level yeah. that we only really saw in that 2016 Finals, and then the Eastern Conference in the finals last year. Um, well, 
his plays has surprised me a little bit. I, I do think his surrounding cast now is better than what he had with the Cavs without, you know, before LeBron came back. But part of me still thought that he wouldn't be able to lead them the way he has, um, you know, to an 18 and four record right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the Hayward injury. Um, uh, he was kind of forced to be the leader of that team. Um, Whereas, had it happened naturally, you know, maybe there's a little give and take between him and Hayward. They both seem like pretty um, friendly guys. I think they were both good friends. So, um, you kind of saw this with, you see this a lot. You see it in Oklahoma City right now a little bit. Um, you saw it with the Miami Heat Big Three. Uh, whenever it's there's multiple superstars or guys who are kind of seen as being, uh, you know, pretty comparable as far as talent goes, it it's kind of a uh, you know like dueling banjos thing. It's like you you play a little bit, run a couple plays for you, and then it, now it's my turn. And yeah. Instead of just playing, and right now the team's just playing, and Kyrie's obviously their go-to guy, but the other guys have confidence to step up and hit big shots as well. Yeah, I I think also just a thing about um, Danny Ainge that I feel like is his best, like the best part of what he's done is is with the, this Nets pick, because I'm looking at it now, and I know it's still early in the season, but this pick, which I thought was going to be guaranteed top three, I mean, it it's going to be like six or seven possibly right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, like, he must have known, and I, I guess you could have looked, if you look at, like, the roster of the Hawks and the Bulls and some other teams, like, you could easily see that, okay, maybe the Nets might be a little bit better than them, so, like, maybe you could have seen it, but I just feel like him giving up that pick with it right now being, I believe it would be, like, the sixth or seventh pick, mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's huge, because I feel like when the Cavs made the trade, they were assuming that it would be a top three. Yeah, that's a good and point. And it still can, it still can, but right now, I mean, the Nets are, <laughs> I think they just... Oh no, they just beat the Mavericks. But I mean, they're playing teams tough. They're like good. night in and night out. They have a they have a good coach, Kenny Atkinson. Um, they have a bunch of young players who who were, you know, basically a lot of them have chips on the shoulder. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, D'Angelo Russell. You know, a lot of young guys who either fell in the draft or um, or got traded early in their career and kind of have something to prove. And then you throw in a good coach and and kind of a. Uh, I mean, a, a fuck it attitude. They they have nothing to lose by losing, uh, and and no one's expecting anything of them. So, hell, yeah. you might as well you might as well compete, and you might as well go out and, and try and improve your game. They have a, they have a lot of young kids. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that that Nets pick and and what the Cavs should do with it, and kind of where um, you know the the pros and cons of it uh, later in the podcast. Um, let's get to. Uh, at least my second freezing cold take uh, from this past summer was my prediction that Derrick Rose would be playing well enough to make Ty Lue consider bringing Isaiah Thomas off the bench when he returned. Yikes. This was a <laughs> bad, oh bad take. <laughs> yeah, you put um, a lot of faith in a broken down Derrick Rose. Yeah, and it, I mean, as a... As a it, we're not going to get into his, any of his off-the-field, off-the-court uh, ventures and, and problems, but um, just as a just watching him in those early years and seeing how good he was, and then seeing 
and then having that all just taken away, that, that just must be so tough. And I, I kind of understand, you know, where he's coming from, how he's just frustrated, um, always being injured. And it's, it's, no, uh, it's no coincidence that the Cavs' uh, recent 9-0 and run coincided with Derrick Rose going down. And Iman Shumpert, yeah. too, because he sucks. As yeah, well. you, you are not an Iman Shumpert fan. No. He's out another six to eight weeks tonight. I think that's great for them. Like, Just keep yeah. him out of the rotation. Try and trade him. Yeah, I think he'll end up getting traded because he he, he voiced that he wanted to be out of there anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I think. And, uh, dude, I mean, yeah, it's sad with Rose. I honestly felt like the first three games he kind of played pretty well, or maybe it was the first four. And then, you know, they after that, they just went on that huge losing streak. And obviously, yeah, he... It's it's so unfortunate. The saddest thing is going on Twitter and seeing people post like videos from Oh my god. <laughs> 2010 Derrick Rose versus now. Oh my god. Well, and the the ironic thing is if you watch him play now, if you just watch highlights of his baskets, you'd be like, "Wow, he looks really athletic. He looks really quick and explosive laterally. He doesn't have the explosion uh, vertically like he once did." So he's finishing a lot of layups around the rim, and they're they're sweet looking layups, and you know pretty he has pretty good um, you know drives to the basket, and uh, and you'd think hey maybe he's he's back, but it, it's the little things, the defense. He's terrible. Teams run pick and rolls, and and he just dies on screens, and his guy gets a gets an edge. They just run a pick and roll with his guy and Kevin Love, and and it's just it's just a yeah. bucket every time, and then. Just offensively, I mean, he is averaging twice as many turnovers as assists this season. You just and and then he can't shoot. So yeah, the well, game yeah. the game has passed him by. It's sad uh, because he should be kind of like doing what Russell Westbrook's doing, but that's you know so far in the past and that's never coming back. <laughs> so. Yeah. R.I.P. and peace, Derrick Rose. <laughs> Yeah, to his and, NBA career, to his NBA career. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he'll be the first ever MVP to not make the NBA or the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure. I mean, and if you think about it, the Cavs. I mean, they probably don't need him once Isaiah Thomas comes back, especially. Yeah, I agree, and I think shortening the rotation has helped them. But again, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, I don't, I can't think of any other terrible takes I had this summer. I know I, I spouted off about how Lamar Jackson's going to be a star in the in the NFL. I'm I'm still holding out hope for that. Yeah, we we can revisit that next this time next year yeah. if he's on an NFL roster. <laughs> you have any uh you have any takes you want to uh, want to take back or rescind? I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like most of my takes would have been NFL related and and especially with the Browns, but I feel like I'm probably pretty right with my takes with the Browns because I know for a fact I predicted them to not win more than two games, and they're <laughs> they're definitely on pace to to uh, to win less than two games. So no, I mean I'm pretty confident unless there's something you can think of that I'm not remembering. No, I mean there was one time where we had to we we gave like just wild bold predictions. I think you said the Browns are going to beat the Steelers twice, but. <laughs> That could also go yeah. in our yeah prawl segment. Yeah, I think that was yeah, I think that was uh, our don't at me segment. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. 
Yeah, so. that was a pretty bold take by me. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a pass on and, that one. But we can still, we haven't played, they've only played once, right? We can go one-on-one against the Steelers. That's true. That I don't true. see it happening, but... <laughs> Yeah, hey, you never know. Yeah, you never know, and and we'll we'll cover their uh, quest for perfection uh, a little bit later in the pod. Right now, we're gonna call our first ever interviewee. Um, we'll get him on the line in a second, but first, I'll just give a quick intro uh, so he doesn't have to. His name's Braden Lair. He uh, went to Denison University with us. He was a quarterback when he started out uh, playing football there, and then changed to wide receiver, and actually ended up. Being, I think, a two-time All NCAC, uh, you know, conference um, performer. I don't know if he made first team or second team. I, I know he he he, uh, he put up some serious stats his last two years. Um, and then he went on and coached, bounced around a couple different schools. Uh, as a graduate assistant, coached at Denison recently, and then um, this past year was hired as the offensive coordinator at Allegheny. Uh, where, which is part of the NCAC. Um, it's the same conference as Denison. So we're going to get him on the line right now. Uh, we're going to ask him some some questions about uh, about being a, uh, a Division three coach. Hey, Gary, real quick. Speaking of uh, freezing cold takes... Uh, a couple years back, when me and Braden had a radio show at Denison, we once coined, uh, well, we didn't coin the term, but we once equated the term average to mean the same thing as Aaron Rodgers, because at the time, we, we, considered, him an, we considered him an average NFL quarterback. <laughs> so, uh, I was hoping you were going to bring that up on air. Anyone that was average, we called him an Aaron Rodgers, and then he pretty much just shoved that down our throats and won a Super Bowl and is... You know, probably the you know top three quarterback in the league right now. Yeah, that was also before my first career as a sports writer. I predicted Georgetown would win March Madness, and that was the year they lost to FGCU in the opening round. So Whoa. I don't know if my readers took me very seriously after that one. <laughs> hey, well, I think everything worked out. You're you're coaching and gave up the gave up the writing career. Or have you given up the writing career? Do you still... You know what? I, I, I have as of right now. Uh, I, I have not done a blog post in quite some time. No? Hey, maybe we'll have you, you write something for the Hasman Sports Podcast after you uh, you make it big time. Yeah, all, <laughs> all right. Only if you can beat Wabash, though. All right, we'll see. We'll see. All right, man. on this year. So, uh, you know, serious question here. Um you know, being an offensive coordinator, you're 28 years old. That's that's pretty young. That's that's impressive. Um, you know, I know you guys. I looked at your record. You guys struggled a little bit this year, but it looked like the offense was putting up some points. So, tell us about the first season. Uh, you know, kind of being on your own um, as a coordinator. Yeah, you know, I actually got pretty lucky. Uh, you know, when you walk into a situation with, with some of the athletes that we had on the roster. Um, it, it made me look a lot better than I probably would, to be honest. You know, we, we have a wide receiver from Miami, Florida, um, r- really talented young man, might might be the fastest kid in the country um, at our level. And, you know, 
for us, it was just as simple as how can we come up with two or three new ways to get him the football in space, you know, and isolate some one-on-one matchups and really take advantage of that. But, um, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with our guys. Uh, you know, I think if you look at where our football program has been in the four years prior to this season, we took a great first step in really getting it turned around. And, you know, when I played against Allegheny, and obviously Scott did as well, I mean, they were a tough team. You know, they were consistently a winning program. You don't have to look too far back to where Allegheny competed for conference championships year in and year out. So, um, you know, I I think we're definitely headed in the right right direction. And and I'm really excited about what we got going on here in the future, too. Nice. Hey, Braden, do you have, like, a lawnmower running next to you? I do not. I'm literally just sitting in, like, an empty room. Okay. Okay. So, Baird, go ahead and shoot. Uh, well, first off, Braden, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm hoping you made the defensive coordinator buy you a bunch of uh, free meals or six-packs or something because the offense definitely did their job. Um, but what I just want to know is, like, besides size and speed, like, what do you think is the biggest differentiator between a D3 athlete or and, like, a D1 athlete that we watch on Saturdays on big-time TV? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think a lot of it, to be honest with you, sometimes is just opportunity, um, depending on, like, the high school program that you might play in. And, you know, I, I went to a high school where there was a lot of exposure and you had a lot of opportunities where, you know, similar to what I'm doing now, when the season ends, you know, a lot of big-time college coaches are going through that program because they consistently, you know, produce Division One talent or, or top-level guys. So, um, I think, honestly, just the program you play in has somewhat to do in it in, in terms of how you get recruited and the level that you play at. In, in today's college football and, and what wasn't available for us, Scott, which is honestly probably the nicest thing, I remember having to make a highlight tape on, like, a DVD. You know, mm-hmm. you would mail it out in a package and send it to, like, your top 10 or 15 schools. And you didn't necessarily have a great idea at that point unless your high school coach was telling you, okay, I see you falling in at, at this level. Right. If those were worthwhile, or if anybody was even you know watching those, now in, in one single click you can send your highlight tape to seven hundred different college coaches. Right. So I, I think that's helped a lot. Um, but overall, man, I, I think exposure is a big thing. But in terms of a Division One to a Division Three athlete, there might just be one thing off. You know, where that person went to a summer camp and they ran their forty literally two tenths of a second too slow. Or they weigh, you know, 10 pounds less than, you know, that program or or that college really wants them to be at the Division One level. And, you know, for whatever reason, there's just, there seems to be one knock or or one stat or characteristic that doesn't really add up. And and then those players somewhat fall through the cracks. I I guess it would be my best way of answering that. No, I, I, yeah, I think that hits the, uh, the nail on the head there. I mean, because I feel like when we played, there was plenty of kids who were, who were super talented where you're like, you know, maybe this guy could be like on a roster in a D1 school. I mean, you got guys like Andy Carpenter who coach hate himself to play, <laughs> play, to play at all. That's a Buckeye, man. That was a Buckeye. They let him go. Yeah. I mean, that was a bunch of crap. But other than that, um, no, I mean, also like Huddle. We didn't have a Huddle. With Huddle, you can create highlight tapes like you said, and you send it to – every coach in the country whereas back in the day you'd be sending out dvds and and shit like that yeah on the flip side of that i'll tell you what it makes life as a coach a heck of a lot easier too 
you know, and, and again, I, I haven't been in it for super long, but you hear all the horror stories of having to meet, you know, your next opponent a couple of hours away at a truck stop or a gas station to exchange like hard copy, where now you literally just hit send on, on huddle, you know, on Sunday morning and everything's ready to go for your next breakdown. So it, it's made things easier on both sides. For sure. Nice. Hey, Brayden, I got a couple questions about, about, um, you know, being an offensive coordinator. Um, so when you show up, when you get the job, are you bringing an entire offense or is there a base offense and you're just like adding your own flair to it? Yeah, I think a lot of that depends on, first of all, you know, your comfortability with the head coach, you know, what, what they know in terms of your background and how much they trust you to run or trust you to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and second of which is, is what that head coach does. You know, if you're, if you're working for a head coach that has an offensive background, then, you know, clearly that's going to shape more of what you do. Um, you know, I, I've got a fantastic head coach here at Allegheny, um, but he's more of a defensive guy. So when I got there, there was some terminology or some phrases with formations that, you know, I, I was told to use and obviously that I did use. And to be honest, that goes more in towards helping with the scout team so there's less confusion and we're able to get more reps in practice if, you know, when, when we're running our defense against the scout team offense that we have at Allegheny, you know, it, it's simpler for them instead of making up a whole new vocabulary or a whole new vernacular of words and phrases, just using it what our offense calls it. Okay. So in, in that way, you know, we kept a couple of formations and a couple of like our run scheme stuff, we, we called the same, but um, to be honest, I, I was given a lot of freedom and, you know, kind of took it and ran with it. So I, I've been put in a good situation. Nice. You ran a spread offense, right? We did. We were, we were a lot of, I mean, whether you want to call it like 20 personnel or 11 personnel, kind of like what, you know, Northwestern calls like their super back where essentially it's a fullback tight end hybrid. We did a lot of that. And then, you know, we had a really, really talented wide receiver core. So we did a lot of 10 personnel stuff as well, which is, you know, four wide outs. Okay, nice. And then Barrett, let me, let me get one more question in about the play calling. Um, sure. So with, um, so I, I feel like I've heard this, you know, numerous times on, on Sundays, uh, they talk about offensive coordinators, like, need to get into a rhythm in games and some of them like chart their first 15 plays and some may start the game out in a no huddle. Is there something you did to get yourself in a rhythm to get the team in a rhythm? Uh, yeah, I, I think you can, you, you can approach that a lot of different ways and every coordinator or someone that's been doing it kind of has their own feel for how they want to get in the groove of things. Um, you know, I, I was pretty big this year in, and we were a lot of huddle tempo. We didn't do a whole lot of, you know, sprinting to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball as quickly as possible. But especially early in games, um, I, I was a huge motion. And then kind of that check with me that you see some teams doing, where they give the quick dummy cadence, then the players look over to the sideline, and okay. then they really get the call. I, I hate it. <laughs> as a defensive player, you hated it, or you just hate it, period? I hated it as a defensive player. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason that I really liked it is, Within and, and I would usually script like my first eight plays, and I would try to in those eight plays through motion, through whatever, show just about every formation that we planned on running in the game, so I could see how they were going to align at, at least to start, you know. And then from there, you kind of get comfortable in, in terms of okay, this is what they're giving us, you know, what have we run this week, or what do we have in the playbook that that we can kind of use to attack that. And you've got a pretty good idea, obviously, through film breakdown and what you've seen throughout the year. But 
especially early in the game, you want to make sure there's no surprises or something that you, if there is something you didn't prepare for, you can address as soon as that first series is over. Okay, nice. I like that. Yeah, Brian, uh, I have a really good question here for you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Do you ever feel stupid being called the Gators when you guys are located in Meadville, Pennsylvania? Hey, good See, question. That brings me back to one of my first blog posts just about our conference in general. Um, I mean, there are some unbelievable mascot names in the North Coast Athletic Conference. <laughs> uh, I'm still yet to come across a Gator in Northwest PA. Uh, just like I'm sure, you know, what, nine out of the ten teams in our conference don't make a whole lot of sense. You've got, like, the Wittenberg Tigers. That's about the most generic one that we have in our league. Yeah. There are some classics. Hey, are they near yeah. Zanesville? There was that one exotic uh, animal guy in Zanesville, if you guys recall, your senior year. Oh, oh yeah, that's oh, the Wild. Right? Yeah, wild just let them all go. <laughs> yep. They ran uh, off to Northwest PA. <laughs> Oh, Meadville. A lot of alligators in that region. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Don't go swimming in the swamps. <laughs> nope. All right, Man. hey, Br- Braden, I got I got a little game for you. Um, I'm gonna give oh, you I'm gonna give you a blind scouting report, and I want you to make a pitch, a recruiting pitch, to this uh, <laughs> this particular player. All right. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. We're looking at a 5'11", dual-threat quarterback, average arm, quicker than two dogs, comes from a small town called uh, Shelby, Ohio, and uh, he plays like Johnny Manziel, both on and off the field. So what? give me your pitch. You know what? Call me crazy, but I feel like I've seen the scouting report before back in, like, 2007. Uh, yeah, he was getting recruited by a lot of big big-name schools. <laughs> I, I, I was shocked that he fell through the cracks, man. I, I was shocked. But, uh, man, if I had to pitch such an individual, I, I think with what we do on offense, it, it would be pretty exciting for him to play in it. Um, you know, the, the quarterback, obviously, just about every offense, um, is really the engine that makes it go for us. I mean, our, our quarterback this year threw for a lot of yards. We did a lot of, I'm sure you guys know, the, the hot ticket right now is all the RPO stuff. You know, mm-hmm. rather than like the true zone read and, and all that stuff. Uh, but what what we would love in our offense too is a quarterback that's got a little bit more something with his legs. You know, that that can do some stuff, running the ball downfield, adding that element. So um, I, I think I would tell that young man if you look at the stats that we had this year as an offense, particularly at the quarterback position, um, well, we're going to kind of give you the keys to the car. Uh, you're going to have the opportunity to really take everything and run with it. So um, I think you'd be fired up to see what we do on offense. Nice. Sounds like sounds like what Nick Fletcher said. <laughs> yeah, man. He, he knew how to sell them. <laughs> nice. Oh, here's here's a here's a follow up question, a little more serious. Um, you know, you're uh, you're recruiting people to Meadville, Pennsylvania. It's not it's not uh, you know, it's not the beaches of of San Diego. Um, by any stretch. So, what's your, I guess, what's your pitch um, to players from out of state, especially ones that aren't from like the uh, Midwest? And then also, how much of your pitch is allocated to like recruiting the parents or getting them on board? Yeah, I, I mean, to, to answer your first question, in terms of like an out of state kid, I think a lot of it really depends on the region. First of all, well, we've got like 10 kids on our team from the state of Florida. And, yeah. you know, a lot of you guys, and I'm sure everybody's thinking, well, what would really take you from 
three of our starting four receivers are from Miami. You know, what, what would take you from South Beach up to Northwest PA? Uh, it's the, it's honestly, the name. They think they're going to Florida because they're yeah, going to Gators. Gators. We, got, we got Gators <laughs> in it. So I, I, that's a heck of a start. Uh, but really, I mean, there, there's not a single Division three school in the state. So there, there's so much talent down there that those kids are just looking for a place to go. Um, what, what I really believe, and man, I, I've been – saying this now, I, I try to go to five or six schools, sometimes seven schools a day and really sell this out of state. Um, but you look at it, I really, for our program, it's the opportunity to come make, come in and make an impact right away. You know, where, where you've got the chance to come in, to compete, to earn playing time, to where, you know, our, our football program is one that's growing and you're going to have a chance to compete for a conference championship, but you're not going to walk in and be, you know, the last guy in the back of the line because you're one of 30 people in that position group. You know, we, we recruit smaller classes, and we're interested in guys that are hungry to come in and, and play and make an impact right away. So that, that's really big for us. We, we did a lot with brand-new facilities. Um, that always gets a lot of guys' attention, obviously. And then just, I mean, honestly, Scott, I, I don't know if you know, and I didn't know a whole lot about it when I was, you know, before I went through the interview process, but in terms of the history of our football program, you know, we've had 65 All-Americans here, 500 program wins. So when you look at the history of small college football, I think we're pretty darn hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about Allegheny, but I feel like the little bit that I do know is that it's consistently been a you know a pretty solid program with, with a good tradition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've been impressed in my time here. You know, like I said, for those out-of-state kids, you know, the Florida kids, they, they need to go somewhere. they they, they got to find a home, and, and we feel like we've got a, a pretty attractive Camp is set up, pretty attractive facility set up, and the chance to come in and make a difference right away is great. You know, our head coach, when he was at Wabash, did a really good job in the state of Arizona, of all places. We got, I want to say, seven kids on our roster from Arizona. And that's just another one where, you know, Arizona is dominated by junior colleges. So if, if those high school seniors don't want to go the junior college route, well, then, you know, they're looking for a home too. So, um, you know, we've, we've been pretty smart in the areas that we're recruiting. We've always done, you know, pretty well in Northeast Ohio too, just because it's only, you know, an hour, an hour and a half drive. Um, and then I, for me, I think the biggest area that I recruit that we need some more players from is, you know, Central Ohio and, and Cincinnati. So that's why I've been pounding the pavement in both those places for the past few weeks. Nice. I had no idea that that Florida had zero Division three schools. Yeah. So that they've added some like Division two and NAIA. There, there's nothing. Wow. Uh, I, I so the whole it. South, I mean, if you look at a map of Division Three, I mean, it, it is pretty much a Northeast to Midwest dominated division. Wow. You know, and I coached down in the South at, at Sewanee for a year. And other than that, you've got about two or three schools in Alabama, two or three schools in Georgia, and zero in Florida. Then there's now one in Arkansas with Hendricks. So, it, you know, for, the, for those players that are down South that don't end up getting that Division One scholarship – or, you know, for whatever reason, they, they want to open up some opportunities, you know, they, they got to go somewhere. So we, we've been able to kind of capitalize on that. Interesting. Baird, what, you have any uh, any other questions about, about um, O.C. Braden? Well, Braden, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, does it haunt you that you never want a, a Denison intramural T-shirt? <laughs> yeah, I was worried you were going to bring that up. I like to think of myself as the Dan Marino of Denison intramurals, where probably the greatest player to never win a title um, is how I really want to be remembered. 
And I'd also like to point out that I probably did have a role somewhere on the softball championship in 2009, but I was kicked off the team for a lack of heart and passion for missing the first game by Brandon Taylor. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> you missed out. That was a hell of a thing. Yeah. Hey, it was a good. It was a good squad. I like your uh, Dan Marino comp. I was. I had another comp I was going to bring up. I think you're the Elgin Baylor of IM Sports. Um, Why do you say that? So Elgin Baylor's career, um, he was one of the best players in the NBA for his entire career. This was back in like the 60s or 70s. And uh, every single year, him and Jerry West would lose to um, Bill Russell and the Celtics in the title. And then finally, um, they got Will Chamberlain on their team, and everything's looking good. And Baylor goes down with an injury and retires immediately, and then the team wins the title that year. Didn't that happen to you? You, like, refused, and Baylor refused the ring um, when the team gave it to him because he didn't feel like he was part of the team. Didn't you win? Weren't you on a team that won an IM title and you refri- refused the shirt? You know what? That That is spot on. That's probably a much more accurate comparison. Uh, yeah, I was battling some meniscus injuries. I tried to get grit through it, you know, with, with the tough, gritty IM athlete that I was. Uh, so I, I played in a couple games. I was potentially given a T-shirt, and I just decided I would feel a little guilty taking it. Yeah, so that, I mean that's that's pretty much on par with Elgin Baylor. I might have to go with that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Braden somehow somehow did not win an IM title, despite his friends winning like nine or ten, and also hey, well, being yeah. and also hey, well. being an all-conference performer. In football, <laughs> when, you, when you look at the list of players that have won a title, that's what really kind of gets my juices going a little bit. Got guys that have T-shirts in their closet right now, you know, five, ten years after the fact, and you know, there's a special spot on my rack right now that I just there's no T-shirt there, it just looks empty. Sad. Yeah, it's devastating. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we approached the uh, the uh, I am I am section of the interview. Um, <laughs> I that's all. That's all the questions I have. I appreciate Braden. We appreciate you being our first ever interviewee on the Has Been Sports podcast. Um, do you guys want to talk a little hey. NFL here, or Bear? Did you have another question? No, we're good. We're good. I, I got time for a little NFL. All right. Well, since uh, Browns, the Browns are uh, Baird's team, Steelers are my team, Braden, I believe you're a Bengals fan. Is that correct? We're all about the AFC North. That is correct. So let's talk a little AFC North. Brad, um, do you think Marvin Lewis will still be the Bengals coach when you make it to the NFL? <laughs> Man, I, I really hate speculating on, on anything within the coaching profession, period. Um, but I... I find it hard to believe, to be honest with you, that, that, that he makes it through this year unless, you know, somehow I, I really feel like that now you never know with, with the owner of the Bengals, but unless they win a playoff game, I, I find it hard to believe that, that he's back in 2018. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, are not kind to Marvin Lewis, but we will not take any of those takes back. <laughs> No, he's a re- recurring, uh, not really a guest, but just a recurring uh, topic of conversation Yeah, on yeah. this podcast. Remember when Marvin Lewis had control of the Bengals? 
I don't. Marvin Lewis, man. If he's still yet to win a playoff game, that's what everyone's just going to remember. Yep. And he just plays a bunch of bunch of criminals on his team. Fontes Perfect. I mean, I think that guy's going to – He's before the end of his career, he's going to commit a felony on the field. He has. And, again, I don't watch anywhere near as much NFL football as I need to with how the season goes and the work schedule and everything. But I'll maintain he has one of the most intimidating college football pictures of all time from his time in Arizona State. Oh, I bet. Didn't he have like? But he's just staring. He's staring over the line. He's just pointing at the quarterback. I think it was Barkley. I mean, you can look it up. There's like if you search, you know, perfect Arizona State. That's probably if I, if I could blow that up if I was a linebackers coach, that'd be in my meeting room, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, so he was a. Um, I remember him being. He had a monster uh, junior year, and he was projected to be like a first round draft pick, but he stayed for his senior year. And then committed like seven personal fouls, got ejected from multiple games, and like got arrested twice or something off the field, and then didn't get drafted. And then obviously, you know, the Bengals. Oh, I'm looking at that picture, by the way. That's pretty sweet. He's pointing at him. Yeah. 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 I just looked it up too. That's a badass picture. Yeah. I mean, the dude's a stud, but God, he just loves injuring Steelers and any other player. He's got a. A uh, dark place in his heart for Vontaze Burke. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you still you. I mean, you had the last laugh after he comes jogging like through the tunnel at the end of the game and everything in the playoffs. You guys still ended up winning one of the craziest playoff games I've ever seen. Yeah, I attended that game as well. Did you really? Yeah. Hey, uh, hold on. All right, sorry. I can hear it now. You can hear it. All right, back to the uh, the Bengals. Um, what uh like as a Bengals fan, what's your what's your outlook? Like what's this season? This is just a lost season, right? Or do you guys have like I mean Joe Mixon's decent, uh AJ Green's a stud still, but like what's the hope moving forward if you're a Bengals I fan? I mean it, pure, purely as a fan analyzing it, uh I mean I guess, I guess there's some place deep down inside me after two wins in a row that feels like we're we're still only a game out. You know, and, and if you're able to beat, and I know it's it's not very likely, but if, if you're a true fan, I guess you always got to believe in your team. We're not completely sunk yet. You know, sitting at five and six, obviously on the outside looking in, but man, if you can put a couple wins together, you, you got a shot. Okay, fair. I, I guess yep. I didn't. Even I mean, you are you are actually only a game out. I didn't realize yep. that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. All right, for any of you has been listeners who. Uh, think that Braden's mowing a lawn next to him that's just a uh, technical difficulty we'll uh we'll make sure we we discipline our our producer and uh get him to fix that glitch for our next time we interview Braden but uh let's move on to uh Baird your favorite team the uh Cleveland Browns um in their quest for perfection oh boy oh boy yeah so um, those of you that don't follow Browns. I would recommend following a Twitter account. Um, I think it's Reflog18. But uh, the guy who's ironically from Granville lives in Granville. He's setting up a perfect season parade in Cleveland for the Browns <laughs> if they go 0 and 16. I saw that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty demoralizing. But it's just there's so much incompetence. And 
no no offense to Max Paulus. Maxie, I love you. This is just tough love, but it's just sometimes you watch the team and you just wonder, like, some of the players that are on the field, like, how they are professional football players. I mean, the, the receivers we have are just dropping passes all the time. Kaiser questionable in his decision-making. And then, you know, that makes me question Hugh Jackson, who's supposed to be a quarterback, you know, genius. And it's like, dude, I don't think you're evaluating these guys very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my take on the quarterbacks, and I think I brought this up to you in one of our first podcasts, um, was why they keep taking these quarterbacks in the second and third round, and it's kind of like you need to either jump into the – dive into the water head first or – like Don't not dive in, but, yeah, but they're like sticking their foot in the water and like seeing if it's warm, and then like thinking about diving in. It's like either wait and pick a guy in the with the with, with the number one pick or number two pick or whatever, or don't and just Flip. sign like a crappy Josh McCown, roll with him for a year, and then just wait until you get your quarterback. But like drafting these, wasting these picks on Cody Kessler and and Kaiser, these guys who were kind of destined to be backups, you're not helping your team and. And it's just like it's like a wasted season. I feel like every time I, I see them uh, go through one of these years with, yeah. with a, a carousel of quarterbacks. I mean, that's pretty much what I've been saying the last two, three years: is quit drafting quarterbacks at all and wait until you have a top three pick, and then you can go and get a guy that you know is going to be a franchise-changing quarterback. Now, you know, things have changed. Maybe not so much, but you know. I was all about the Darnold bandwagon. Uh, still probably am, but, you know, last year I didn't want them to take any quarterbacks because you're just wasting a pick when you know you're probably going to take the guy number one overall next year in Sam Darnold or whether it's Rosen, whoever it is. So why do you even take Kaiser? Like, what is the point? Yeah, I, you got me on that. Braden, what, what's, what's your take? Hey, I'll tell you what, Sleeper this year didn't have a very good season. I like the Wyoming dude. Josh, oh, Josh Allen? Allen? Really? See, I would I would yeah. not touch that guy with a ten foot pole. They're saying he has the strongest arm out of like most of the guys coming out. Hey Ryan Leaf had a strong like arm too. Here's the one thing though that like pisses me off because two years ago I was all about Carson Wentz and then I stupidly believed in Hugh Jackson being a quarterback guru and bought into his talk about RG3 having a renaissance year, coming back, being a great quarterback, moving the earth beneath him when he moves. Like, <laughs> I literally Is RG3 got, in the league? No. I got sucked in just thinking Hugh Jackson could turn his career around because he's, you know, he's worked well with quarterbacks. And I think if it wasn't for that, we would have taken Carson Wentz. But even me, I was like, if we're going to go with RG3, don't take Carson Wentz because Hugh has his guy. He thinks he can turn him around, and the rest of the roster was, I mean, not great, but better than it is this year. Thought we could have a decent year. But, you know, looking back, like you said, Harry, they either need to go all in, dive in, or don't draft a quarterback at all. Yeah. RG3 is a lot like uh, Derrick Rose. They've had similar career arcs. Um, 
All right. Well, oh, one other thing, Baraday, and I was texting you about this. Um, what's your take on on the owner Jimmy Haslam uh, in this Flying J uh, trucking stop uh, business that he that he owns? It's worth like twenty billion dollars. Apparently, they've been they've been scamming, defrauding uh, um, the purchaser, like the trucking companies that purchase diesel fuel, telling them that they'll get a rebate, and then they just charge them more money. And I guess there's now testimony and, and, and um, not concrete evidence, but kind of like hearsay or like people saying that, um, I guess circumstantial evidence that, that Haslam actually knew about it. And um, I mean, I, does this force him to sell the team or, or what, do you, what do you think happens here? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, yeah, I mean, I've read the articles that came out. There was some video recordings of, or uh, audio recordings that Haslam was in a room talking about the, the fraud. Uh, I mean, he's a scumbag. <laughs> I never really liked him when he purchased the Browns. He, he came from, I believe, his brother or someone in his family is like a partial owner of the Steelers, right? Yeah. yeah. Made something along those lines. And so, like, when he came to Cleveland, I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe he was part of a, uh, ownership of a, a, a good franchise he can turn the Browns around but other than that like this this fraud case I mean this is a couple years old so it's been going on for a while and uh, like pretty soon after he took over I'm pretty sure this came up so ever since then I mean he's completely turned in my eyes just seems like a scumbag business owner and you can see the way he runs the Browns it's not much better yeah Hey, give me your, give me your, um, if you, if you can, give me your, uh, if, if Haslam sells the team, give your, give me your three top ownership choices, your top three ownership oh, wishes, let, I guess. That's tough. That's tough. Mark Cuban. Cuban investing in the cube. I thought you said Martha Stewart at first. That would have been <laughs> equally funny. Um... Oh, I don't know. LeBron James, he wants to own a team. There you go. LDJ. How about Dan Gilbert? Uh, would you take Dan Gilbert over, over Jimmy Haslam? I would take Gilbert over Haslam for sure. Would you take Braden's boy, Mike Brown, over over Jimmy Haslam? Probably, yes. Hey, by the way, I don't know if anyone's following the Tennessee coaching um, debacle that's going on, but the Haslams, Jimmy Haslam, is also involved with like the board of uh, trustees at Tennessee, so you can see how incompetent they are down there. And it's pretty much the same with the Cleveland Browns in terms of uh, who he hires for coaching and whatnot. Because Hugh Jackson was like the big splash, but he has not lived up to expectations. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Braden, how how I guess in tune with with um, Division One coaching are you? Like, are you? up to speed on all the different coaching changes or is that just that's just like too much you have you have too much recruiting and stuff going on or is that something you like pay close attention to you know i I don't know if you guys are familiar with the website or not but there's kind of like the coach's bible on any sort of job opening hiring firing all that kind of stuff it's called football scoop okay where they they give you a lot of reports Honestly, it's how a lot of college coaches apply for their next job or even hear about openings. Um, so every every now and again, I'll get on there. They do some cool like motivational stuff or some like videos of the day with some big time programs. So 
I'll look every now and again and then just kind of update the page and see what's going on. Um, but I, I really don't tune in a whole lot. I mean, th- this week, for the most part, I mean, I, I'm out on the road in the morning, usually by 6, 6.30 in the morning, and then, you know, you're, you're there at six or seven high schools until school gets out at about 3.30, and then wow. as soon as you get home, you're, you're contacting every kid that you just met with in school and trying to get them to come up and visit, so... You know, as soon as you think the season's over and, and those 12-hour days have ended, you know, it, it just completely shifts to recruiting. So, yeah. from, from one thing to another. I mean, let's be honest. The only team Braden follows closely is Ohio State. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hold your breath this weekend. They're on the outside looking in. But Can they, they jump to Alabama? The playoffs. I'm, I'm going. Can they jump Alabama? I don't think they can. No, they should, I, in my opinion. They have a better resume than Alabama. But didn't last year Penn State could have said the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I, I literally just talked about this at the dinner I just came from. That as much as you know, people can complain about Ohio State not getting getting in if they don't. That that would be the same exact reasoning that they got in last year. Yeah. Hey, Braden. One last question uh, before we let you go. I, I didn't ask you this. What's what's your like dream job or ideal? Uh, you know career that you carry out are you are you looking to move up to d1 or, or d3 kind of what you have your sights set on or nfl put, put me on the spot, put you on the spot. Uh, well first of all i, I love i love where i'm at uh, if, if i'm ever fortunate enough at, at somewhere down the road i've always been intrigued or interested in um yeah, not necessarily just like the ivy but the patriot league or you know a, a lehigh a lafayette one of those places that you know that that offers scholarships, but you're still still dealing with the same caliber of kid. Okay. Um, it, it, in the long run, to be honest with you, uh, because I played at this level, I've coached at this level for the majority of my coaching career. I, I've always thought it'd be pretty neat to find a Division three school where you like the location. You know, you, you really believe in what's going on there, and kind of just become a lifer. You know, and, and become one of those coaches that, that's really happy with where they're at. Um, you know, like the Bill, the Bill Snyder type. Yeah, yeah, on a smaller scale. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, coach put... till you die. That's right, man. You're gonna have to take me off, cart me <laughs> off after hopefully a win. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just that just popped in my head. Uh, <laughs> no, man, it, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, we were gonna talk about the Steelers, but I don't really have any hot takes. They're nine and two. They really need to beat the Patriots when they play them in week 15 so they can have home field advantage in the playoffs. And uh, I guess Steelers fans are kind of taking the uh, the mantra of, uh, you know, a lion doesn't concern itself with the matters of sheep um, when it comes to the Bengals and Browns. So, sorry, guys. That's some good coach speak right there. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Hopefully I was at least worth the listen to. Maybe I got you guys an extra listener or something like that. I'm sure Chips will be listening tomorrow at some point. Well, yeah, we'll let you know the uh, the, the viewer turnout. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're definitely looking to get into the chicks demographic, so I think <laughs> <laughs> I think you definitely helped us out there. All right, fellas, I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Braden. That interview was brought to you by the Dark Street Fratio place where good intentions go to die. Guys, pour one out for the Dark Street Fratio. It's closing down after this weekend, but not after it throws one last weekend banger this Friday and Saturday. And guess what? It's offering all has-beens free cover all weekend. 
You just have to follow these two steps to receive the free promotional uh, cover waiver. First, go down to Gastworks, buy you and your friends a tray of 20 cherry bombs, consume them, and then after you finish, go to the Dark Street Friday line, walk up to the front. When the bouncer asks you for a $10 cover, give them the promo code, which is YEAPROL. That's Y-E-A-P-R-O-L. YEAPROL. Tell the bouncer YEAPROL when he asks for your money, and then walk right past him into the bar. He'll know that you're a has-been, and he'll wave your cover. As you guys can probably tell, we're going to talk about the NBA a little bit, and specifically the surging Cleveland Cavaliers. They have won their last 10 games after tonight's win against the Hawks. Uh, LeBron started playing defense with some passion. Um, maybe not good for the, the long-term uh, view of the season, but it's definitely kind of lit a fire under under his teammates. Yeah. Um, you see this happen a lot. Um, you see it happen in, uh, happening a lot in Boston right now. If your best player um, brings it every night on both ends of the court and you're another player on the court, you like subliminally or like subconsciously like, step up your game too or step up your focus and energy and effort because if you see the best player on your team doing it, you follow suit. So um, the Cavs are playing well on defense. Their bench is yeah. playing really well. Corver and Jeff Green, uh, Wade's playing great. Um, you know, like I said, it's no coincidence that this coincided with Rose going down and, and Shump getting hurt. But uh, well, what... and Le- LeBron's just playing in like pissed off mode. Yeah, I think he's pissed at like everyone. He's pissed at Kyrie. He's pissed at the media. He's pissed at his teammates. Like he's just balling every night. Like he's definitely going for the MVP this year. Um, I know I said this in another podcast, but like I think he wants to keep just scoring as much as he can to try to become the all-time leading scorer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, his numbers are incredible right now. They're, they're from a, uh, you know, full statistical standpoint, points, rebounds, assists, um, they're better. And field goal percentage, they're better than even, like, his peak Miami years. I mean, some of that's from the way the NBA has changed. It's more spread out. It allows him to do, um, you know, operate in a little more space. But um, – a lot of it's because he's really worked at, at his jump shot and his free throw uh, stroke, and and he, you know he's really honed his craft, and now he's a you know a very good shooter. You know, knock on wood that remains. And I don't know what what have you seen from this streak that that's uh, made you confident in the Cavs again? I, I mean, it's so much of it has to do with LeBron. He just he elevates everyone's play around him, but. I don't know. I mean, I think you mentioned it earlier a little bit. Like, you hate to see Rose get hurt, but, like, the shorter um, or the smaller rotations, you know, like, I think these guys that are playing now are just kind of gelling a lot better than they were when they had a little bit more rotations going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Wade is trying to turn it up a notch. Like, I feel like he's he's been playing better lately, and, and I don't know. I mean, I think Lou is just finding some, lineups that are working well together um but at the end of the day i think it all just comes back to lebron just being an absolute monster yeah um yeah i mean that, that's I, the main I, thing but i i mean i know i've rattled off a lot of things here but like even just people forget like kevin love is a really good player and like the other night he went off for what 38 mm-hmm. 32 in the first half 
you, you know, you can't forget about a guy like that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and it's funny. I think, um, you know, between his back problems and shoulder injuries um, and just being on this Cavs team, he's at the point where he can't – he's not going to be the number two option on this team. And that's why it's kind of good that the Cavs are getting uh, IT back. Um, I think as far as – and when I say number two option, I mean the guy who's going to get – who they're going to run uh, plays for when they're not running plays for LeBron. Um, that's just not going to be Kevin Love. The way the NBA has changed, the way his games kind of evolved to more perimeter oriented, um, and so that's okay. I kind of like you know when, if Kevin Love's putting up eighteen and eleven, it, that's great for the Cavs. Um, and mm-hmm. you know what you said about the shorter rotations—that's huge. Um, you know, Kyle Korver um, wasn't playing much earlier in the year. Channing Fry wasn't playing at all. Uh, the Cavs have a lot of solid players. And sometimes too much, too many good players is a bad thing um, because the coach just can't get a rotation down that keeps everybody happy. So the injuries to Shump and obviously IT and then uh, Derrick Rose have kind of helped, you know, them get a little chemistry and and, uh, given guys big minutes that may have not been expecting it, like Channing Fry, like Kyle Korver. But then I think the nice thing is when uh, Thomas comes back, by the time he's um, hopefully at 100% and kind of at full go and back in shape, uh, you know, maybe that's when we see LeBron kind of dip down and, and play some, you know, fewer minutes, or maybe that's when we see Wade, uh, you know, have a lot of DNP rests or, you know, not play a lot in certain games. And, and that's kind of good. That's okay to work guys in at the end of the year. But when you start a year out and you're 12 deep, it's just tough to figure out that pecking order. Right, but now they have that pecking order in place, and and it's just they're so I I think I think they're heading in a good direction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was just you know a couple new guys coming in. They weren't really gelling. Now they are. You know, they're all kind of understanding how LeBron plays because I I think it's an adjustment to play with LeBron, right? Like definitely, he's so dominant that you've got to probably change the way you play to fit his game because he's so dominant. So I think the guys are, the new guys are kind of understanding where to be at the, where to be on the floor, what to expect. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So many people thought the Cavs were, you know, going to just like struggle all year. And here we are, what they're still, what they're, top four in the league right now record wise like they're right back to the top of the league yeah and I mean I, I felt like I was one of those people um, but yeah I, I didn't see this defensive effort coming from LeBron coming from Dwayne Wade um, so that's been cool to watch um, I got a question for you Baird um, or I, I guess a theory so do you remember when LeBron was asked I want to say a month ago he was asked, do you ever see yourself as an owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Do you remember this? Yeah. And his response was, yes, I would love to own the Cavs. Uh, I'm not sure if Dan is looking to sell the team or ever wants to sell the team, referring to Dan Gilbert, the current owner. Um, but I would like to own the Cavs. That, uh, that response kind of 
I don't know. It, something seemed weird about it. It was weird that he was so direct about saying, yes, he would like to own the Cavs. I figured he would say something to the effect of, I would love to own an NBA team, and if it's the right situation, blah, 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 blah. But no, he said yes, and I don't know if Dan's trying to, to sell the team at any point. I think that this was LeBron extending an olive branch uh, to Dan Gilbert uh, to basically, and, and they're not allowed to do this, but I'm sure there's you know handshake agreements that, that have happened like this over time, but I bet if Dan Gilbert went to LeBron, or I think LeBron was extending the olive branch and essentially, essentially saying, I'll stay, I'll finish my career in Cleveland if you agree to sell me the team or like a majority stake in the team someday. And a player can't be an owner. Uh, we saw that with Michael Jordan. Um, the CBA prohibits it. But I just wonder if if there is the possibility of some you know verbal agreement you know behind closed doors between those two, where LeBron says, "All right, I'll finish my career here, but you're selling me the team at market value." <laughs> That's interesting. You're you're, you're digging deep there. I mean. Because and so think about it. If he leaves again, uh, which I don't think he is, um, or at least I don't think he's going west, um, it, it would be kind of awkward to come back a second time after leaving them, leaving the team like at the top of the mountain, and then coming back a second time. But it, he, it would be awkward you mean as a player or as an owner. As an owner, I don't think it. You really, I don't. I feel like it wouldn't really matter if he came back as an owner. So as a as a diehard Cavs Cleveland fan, if he left again, would you root for him still, or would you be kind of bitter? I at this point, dude, like he won a championship. He did what he wanted to do. Like I don't think I, I don't think any fan should really hate him anymore if he leaves again. No. Okay. You well, you can be mad and be like you know like I don't agree. You should stay, but like, what are you? I mean, what are you gonna do? The guy came back. Carried the team to the championship. I mean, not really carried that team with Kyrie. Um, did a lot, but you know, he's. I think he's already repaid Cleveland as much as he can. Okay. If the Warriors weren't historically good, he would have won three championships. Yeah. In a row. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I guess um, I'm not giving Cleveland fans enough credit for being reasonable. <laughs> so, I mean, I did, I think as a, if he came back as a player, it'd be really stupid and weird. But like, if he came back as an owner, I just don't think like it's just water under the really bridge. because he's not. Yeah, I mean, I think they would actually embrace it because he's pretty smart in terms of being a player. Now, whether that translates to uh, you know managing being like a GM or an owner, I don't know. But yeah. Interesting. Well, that was kind of my, uh, you know, a deep dive conspiracy theory there. But uh, that's an interesting take. If I was Dan Gilbert and I really wanted him to stay, which who knows if Dan Gilbert does, but I know Dan Gilbert has interests. His business is located in Detroit, I think. Um, yeah. The predatory. He, I loans, think he has some businesses loans. in Cleveland too, but Quicken uh, Loans like is headquartered in Detroit. Yeah. So I wonder. I don't know. You never know what what billionaires are doing behind closed doors, so maybe maybe they're. Uh... You meant. Good. You mentioned that uh, you don't see LeBron going west, and neither do I. But like, 
Where would he go then? Do you think Philly is the most obvious choice in the yeah, East? Yeah, I've, I've kind of jumped back on that Philly band or on the Philly bandwagon. If he leaves, I don't think he's going to leave. Um, I I don't know. I just I can't see him leaving. I'm thinking Philly or New York if he stays, or I'm sorry if he if he leaves Philly or New York. Yeah. They're both young. Yeah. They both have, you know, they're both big markets. Um, they've you know, young studs in, in place on the roster already. And, and both teams, I'm pretty sure the Knicks are a little more hamstrung with the salary cap, but both teams will have a little flexibility. Um, and, you know, with a with a star like LeBron, there's always going to be guys who will take a bargain, kind of like David West, you know, did with the Warriors and, um, you know, very, Dwayne Wade did with the Cavs and a lot of different players have done with uh, the Miami Heat and, back when uh it was LeBron Bosch and, and Wade, so that's kind of my take. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean I I think those would definitely be the top two choices. I think Philly would be number one just because of having Simmons and Embiid mm. um as two studs. Yeah. Oh my god, are they but, good? <laughs> ben but, Simmons um, looks that, like young I LeBron. Think that would be the only choice. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of another Eastern Conference team that he would be interested in, <clears throat> and that would be ready to compete. He's never, he's not going to go to Boston, obviously. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Uh, I got a quick take on the Cavs, on the Cavs uh, Nets pick on their Nets pick, and I, I think I've told you this before. Um, I think that they should definitely trade that pick this year, and my reasoning is. Uh, in the NBA, your championship window is only open for so long. In Cleveland's case, their championship window for their entire franchise history has only their championship window has only been open when LeBron's been on their team. So, I think you have to maximize his time on the team and that keep that championship window open as wide as it as it can go. And whether that's one year or five years, you just got to max it out and and play for today because even if they somehow ended up with the number one pick and drafted Marvin Bagley or Luka Doncic or um, the DeAndre Ayton guy from Arizona. They're, those guys aren't LeBron James. They aren't going to elevate the Cavs. The Cavs have to make another handful of smart basketball decisions to get back up to even close to being a championship contender if LeBron leaves. So I would rather go all in today and then if you got a tank and, and suck for two years, you know, it was worth it in the end. You got a championship, maybe you get two this year. Um, but to kind of – it's kind of like what the, what I was saying with the Browns, to kind of like try and keep your foot, you know, barely in the water and, and uh, you know, hold on to this pick, I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't think I'd do it. Yeah, well, I would have, like, you know, disagreed with you greatly – uh, you know, before the season started or even a couple weeks ago. But, like, I'm looking, like I said earlier, with the way the Nets are playing in this pick. I know it's still kind of early, but I was kind of hoping to see the Nets in the bottom three of the league, and they're not right now. So, I mean, I think you might be right. You've got to unload this pick. But if they're going to do it, they, they're going to have to do it soon. But I'm not sure who would make a trade right now at this point of the season. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I've, maybe not. Might- who do you think they would trade it for? I've kind of read some things. Maybe Mark Gasol 
Yeah, I think he would be a great fit. He's a good rim protector. He's an excellent passer, and he can shoot free throws and three-pointers. He'd be the perfect guy uh, if they wanted to get a, a center. Um, DeAndre Jordan would be a – he's definitely getting traded at some point. The Clippers I, are about I think to that would up. be a terrible move to get him. What's he going to bring you? All he can do is finish around the rim and play defense, but, like, that's not going to help you against the Warriors, I don't so, think. I – kind of agree with you. I think if you take Deion, if you trade for DeAndre Jordan, you're basically hoping that your first 44 minutes of the basketball game are so good that you're going to be up 10 points against the Warriors in in four games and you and you're going to be able to close them out because that guy can't be on the court at the end of games. His free throw shooting is that horrible. Uh, right. And so basically, if you think that with him, the addition of him, you could actually like beat the Warriors like by like 10, 12 points in the first 42, 44 minutes of the game, then by all means take him. But if you think it's going to be neck and neck going down the stretch, you're basically taking – that guy can't be on the court. And it's just going to – I think that's going to put the Cavs in a really precarious situation where at the end of the year, if this guy isn't able to play in the last you know couple minutes of a game seven of the finals – Cavs fans are gonna be like, "What the fuck? We traded this potentially, you know, top five pick in this loaded draft for a guy who can't stay on the court." I would, right. I would definitely caution them against trading for him. Um, although, you know, he'd definitely be like a super version of Tristan Thompson. Um, I don't know who else is out there. I think keep an eye on Paul George. Uh, that Thunder experiment right. is still sputtering. Um, I think if they can't figure out a way to get into you know top four top five in the west if they're going to be kind of a six or seven seed paul george is going to leave in the summer um just get a little playoff rental yeah get a playoff rental you know if if the nets pick hope that the Nets pick ends up being like number eight instead of number two or three and i mean that's a hell of a rental and then that and then that brings but then you up. just gotta hope that LeBron stays and he'll convince George to stay. Exactly, bingo. So I mean, that's that's the other. I think that's the sleeper, um, and a lot of that's dependent on you know how how successful the OKC Big Three is in the next month and a half. I would say before yeah. the deadline. Well, yeah. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, unless it's like Boogie Cousins. Yeah, he's another I'm one. Obviously, little, he's. I'm a little bit iffy on Marcus All, and honestly, still a little bit on Boogie, just because I don't think they can really help you beat the Warriors. But both of those would be solid players. I love the OKC idea, and if they can't figure it out, I think you're right in that they'll probably unload and would take a high draft pick. Um, that would be, I think, the best situation for Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, that would put them. I think that would put them, assuming Isaiah Thomas is 80-90% of what he was, I think all of a sudden they'd be legit, like could hang with the Warriors and, and be more of a coin flip um, in the finals as opposed to, you know, I think I think right now the odds would probably be the Warriors are going to win, like, you know, it'd be like 5-1 to one odds. Um, or I guess what's, however the odds are. It, the, the Warriors would win, you know, five out of six times or four out of five times yeah. if you played it out. But it's interesting. Uh, you know, it'll be an interesting trade deadline. It's earlier this year. Uh, they backed it up to before the, the All-Star break, so they didn't have another Boogie Cousins catastrophe where he got traded, like, mid-game. 
Um, <laughs> he's playing awesome, by the way. He's like borderline MVP candidate. So right. was, I don't think I don't think that Netspec's worth Boogie Cousins. They would have to throw in like I don't know Kevin Love or maybe uh, that'd probably be too much for Cousins, but. I, I don't know if the if the contracts and, and the the values right. match up for that guy. He's just playing too well. Right. Yeah. All right. And so we're gonna wrap up here. We've been going for about an hour and ten minutes. Um, we have one last category. Uh, it's our it's our only segment this week. We'll come back with some more segments next week. Um, we have thoughts and plays. T H O T S. Uh, so our thoughts and plays goes out to J R Smith. He was back at it again on Twitter. He was this time. He was subtweeting porn star uh, Tiana Trump. She tweeted, "You ain't never too old to in the back seat." Uh, J.R. Smith uh, replied underneath, "True with three U's." No, no E. J.R. He just can't resist. He was probably a bottle deep of Hennessy. <laughs> I read. I think I heard an interview where he claims he doesn't drink Hennessy. I was like, no fucking way. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I just want to shout out uh, the person who brought this this to my attention. Um, he's on Twitter. His name is at m u r z m a n, so at Mersman, and then his like Twitter name says Mers comma e s q. I don't think I know him, but uh, he's. He's a pretty funny follow, and he follows the Hasbun Sports blog and podcasts, and and uh, tweets me some funny stuff here and there. So shout out to him, loyal listener of the podcast. Uh, check him out on Twitter, and uh, and then also I, w- I want to shout out um, my uh, my buddy Ben Timmel. Um, I'm gonna get him on the pod soon to talk some college hoops, some uh, Christian Leitner stomp, and most importantly, our uh, affinity for Chip the Ripper. Uh, ben is the DJ at all of um, at uh, his my mine and my little brother and his uh, frat like tailgate things, and he's always bumping Chip the Ripper. <laughs> I lose it every time I hear him. So hey, gotta have a pocket full of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. So that's gonna wrap it up for the Hasbun Sports uh, podcast. Thanks for uh, sticking with us, and uh, we'll get back back at it again here soon um, in the next week or two. All right, peace out. Peace.